Hello everyone, welcome back to Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. And tonight it's triple the pleasure, triple the fun, because <laughs> not only do I have my wacky sidekick, Chad, how's it going, Chad? It's going great. How's it going tonight, Al? Oh, not too bad. And I've also got my friend James, who has been, uh, haven't had a chance to record with you a lot recently. So how are you, James? Oh, I'm just fine. And how about yourself? Oh, boy, I'll get to that in just a moment. But now, because James and I, we both live in the same city. And Chad, you're a little further north than us. So did you guys get hit by that big ice storm that came by recently? Yeah, I've been chipping ice for two days. Yeah, got and about, that... we got just about a half inch here in Wassa, so. Ooh. Yeah, um, best I could think to explain uh, by our area here is th- think of the ice level for any side-scrolling video game you've ever played. You know, any side-scrolling platform video game you've ever played where, you know, your characters are slipping and sliding all over the place. That's pretty much what it was like trying to walk across the parking lot to get into work this morning. And the roads last... Oh, go ahead. No, no, you go. You finish your thing. Yeah, and the roads last night, uh, pretty much kind of like any of the ice, you know, icy levels in Mario Kart. That's that's all I'm, I'm going to say on that. Uh, can I? I'm going to actually put in some something for the Pokemon people here, for the old generations. Uh, remember going through um, uh, Team Rocket's lair with those little pads that just <laughs> move you straight to the next pad? Yeah, the, that was our ice problem. Okay, haven't played that. So, <laughs> so Chad, do you have any video game or geek analogies to uh, compare to uh, what the weather was like up by you? <laughs> um, well, you know, I'm not a video game guy, so that takes that out. Let's see. Um... Well, I know you're into no, more draw, of the older I'm drawing games. a blank. What's okay. that? Because I know you said you're more into the older video games, like the side-scrollers. So those are old school. I mean, I know you said you you don't really like the 3D ones because you get motion sickness. Right. I guess it would be like Sonic. Oh, God. Only, only you know, when he's in the ball and you can't stop him. It's like that. Or Super Mario Brothers 2. They had some uh, some icy levels in there. Yeah, that's true, they did. Okay, but on to today's topic. And this is going to be a series that I hope to explore in the uh, coming months. Might not necessarily do them back-to-back, but I've actually wanted to do this for quite some time. And that is just take a look at the various Dungeons & Dragons classes and how they've evolved over over the years and over the editions. And I figured the fighter would be a good place to start because... I think it's one of the best classes for a new player to start with. And I th- I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that one of my first characters I ever played back in basic was probably a fighter. My first character that I played with D&D was a fighter turned paladin. Okay. Uh, I th- Yeah, mine was a fighter as well. Normal fighter who, in the end, became an evil warlord. Yeah. <laughs> so I think let's... our fighters pick different paths there, James. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about first of all why do why would you think that a fighter is a good choice for a new player to start? We'll we'll start with Chad. 
Well, I mean, it's, it's a straightforward class. You get in there, you roll your stats, you pick your class, which is fighter. And depending on, you know, and I won't talk additions here too much, but depending on the addition, you get your bonuses and you're ready to play. I mean, there's not a whole lot of thought behind a fighter unless you're going to write a history or a background or something like that. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to do that, that's that's beyond the scope of what we're talking about today. So, I mean, they're just quick to put together. They're They're easy to understand. I have big sword. I walk into combat. I hit things. There's no real subtlety. I mean, you could play a subtlety with a fighter, but for the most part, there's just no subtlety with with fighters. You're just the front muscle. It's hard mm-hmm. to be subtle when you're wearing plate mail and carrying a two-handed sword. <laughs> this is true. This is true. So, James, uh, same question for you. What do you think makes the fighter a good choice for new and inexperienced gamers? Well, this was the thing with me when I first played because there's two different ways to play a fighter. There's the defensive, okay, I'm the person who is going to be tanking the most damage, and then there's your DPS fighter. And with those two, you have a bit of variety. And it's actually just like our friend said here, I am uh, Chad, the fighter's just, well, stats, pick out the ones that are best for your type of play style, and go. Yep, and I think that's one of the things that makes the fighter such a great class for beginning players is it is straightforward, but I think they also have a good deal of survivability, even at lower levels. They can wear Mm -hmm. any armor, so they're going to be a a little bit harder to hit than the average character. And as you said before, James, they can kind of do the, you know, they could go either way. If you wanted to play the tanky fighter, that's more about defense, you can or you could play the more the DPS. Um, that's damage per second for old guys like Chad that aren't up with that aren't aren't uh, current with the terms, right? Current with the terms? I'm down with the kids. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> so and that does mean the youngin here. <laughs> yep. So yeah, the like I said. So yeah, you could go either way. It's very survivable since you're going to have better hit points and you're going to be a little harder to hit. But again, straightforward really lets you get the the combat of the system down. So now as far, let's talk a little bit about our backgrounds with the various editions. Now, um, Chad, I believe you said before that you started with second edition. Yep, and I've played them all since. Okay, and then uh, James and I believe you've played all the editions as well. Uh, I played basic. I don't think I played full-on first, but I think I played a little bit of that. Second edition, love it. Uh, 3.5 Broken, Pathfinder, not as broken, 4th edition, tactical game, 5e, eh. I don't know, well, we, we can disagree about editions, but um, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, because each edition kind of have, has its own flavor, and I, I don't know I don't know about you guys, but the fighter is one of the classes I can honestly say I've played in every single edition of the game. So... Let's start at the very beginning. I'm not going to talk about old D&D or original D&D, the, the white box set, because I've never played it. So um, let's go right into what I think a lot of our older gamers started with, the red box set with basic D&D and you know, the original version of the game. So in here, of course, fighters, not really too much to work with, but 
Then again, most of the classes didn't really have a lot to work with back then. And I think it's because since the, you know, since RPGs were in their infancy at that time, they just probably, you know, didn't have as many ideas or as much inspiration to draw off of. Uh, Any thoughts or opinions on that? We'll start with James. Well, like we said earlier, fighters are... There isn't much detail to them. Like uh, with the with some of the new RPGs coming up, like I think Zelda was one of the first ones, if I remember correctly. And Zelda was just the not. And then, ugh, ugh, hold on, can't talk, <laughs> can't talk. Cats, fighters got my tongue here. <laughs> uh, with the Legend of Zelda game, all you had really based off of that was your hero Link. Link was the classic fighter, a.k.a. sword and shield type. And besides that, that was basically it at that time frame, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Okay, and Chad, your thoughts? Though, though Zelda does actually come quite a bit after D&D. It's like uh, 85, mm. I think? But ah, okay. I'm normally off on those. So yeah, I mean, by this time, D&D was about... By the time uh, Zelda hit the U.S., I mean, D&D was about 10 years old. So what about you, Chad? Um, I guess, um, you know, there, there wasn't much the first edition and I had heard Gary Gygax talk about first edition once. And what basic. he had said was, what's that? Basic. We're not quite to first edition. We're talking about, uh, <laughs> you know, what, well, some people call it basic. Other people use the term, uh, B E C M I, you know, back when, oh, you know, then you're, you're before my time. And I, I really don't have a whole lot of input on that. Yep. Yeah. And I was thinking first edition myself, but definitely if, if Gary Gygax, if you heard him say something about uh, first edition, we definitely want to hear that later. But yeah, cause in the original, like basic set, not really a lot to work with. Pretty much. You could use any weapon, any armor. That was about it. And as the box sets kept coming out, fighters started to get progressively more to work with. And you kind of see some of the stuff that you developed back then carry on into other editions. Now, for example, in the expert set, they added the option where uh, a fighter could start a keep. You know, he could establish a, a stronghold after he reached a certain level. And it's been a while since I've seen the companion and the master set. But as I recall in there, they started to give the fighter more options for the, um, you know, like extra attacks. And I think they did introduce some like weapon maneuvers you could do, but still fighters still fairly streamlined, fairly straightforward class. And let's move on now to first edition D and D and Chad, you said you uh, had something that you heard Gary Gygax say. Yeah, he uh, he had said that he wanted it to be an open system where every group could have a basis in what was going on, but they could they could make it their own. Um, so you could walk into three different D&D groups, and every group, even though they have the same base rule set, since it was so modular and so, and so done in such a way that they could make their own rules, every group would be different. So you could game the way you wanted to game. Okay, so if you wanted to, you know, come up with all these goofy, you know, house rules and little things, you could. So it was more like, okay, here's your base, 
that you're going to build upon and how you want to take where where you want to take the game is entirely up to you. Right. Yep. yep. And, and yeah, in uh again, still we go to take a look at the fighter in first edition. Still a pretty straightforward class. Uh, again, except this time, instead of using the D8 for the hit points, now we've bumped up to the D10. And then, of course, they introduce the rules with, you know, fighters being allowed exceptional strength and then also the uh, getting the opportunity to get additional hit points for higher constitution. So what is your thoughts on that? Where, like, for example, in first ed- or basic, a fighter with a constitution of 17 would gain the same bonuses from... And you know, in a strength of seventeen as well, would gain the same bonuses as a wizard with a strength of seventeen or a strength of eighteen or a you know a con of seventeen or eighteen. But of course, now in first edition, once you hit eighteen, the only way to get higher is if you were a, a fighter, a ranger, or a paladin. And then again, with hit points, the maximum bonus you could get is plus two. You can only get a plus three or plus four if you were a, a fighter, ranger, or paladin. So, what are your thoughts on that? Let's start with Chad. Um, I actually think for for stats that makes sense because why would it matter if you're a wizard or a fighter if you have a strength of eighteen, you should get the same bonuses as you know Joe Schmo on the street that has a strength of eighteen. For me, that always made sense. Um, and uh, so you know, as far as that goes, for all the base stats, your your strength, your dex. Your intelligence, your wisdom, your con, your your charisma, all of that should be equal across um, the characters. Now, if you want to talk races, that's a little bit different. But if you're just you know human to human, if they have the same stats, they should have the same bonuses as far as the base stuff goes. Okay, James, I, I would agree to a point. Like when you're a fighter. When you're a fighter, yeah, you're more style to be damaging and so on and so forth. But if you're a wizard, I'm sorry, I blanked out for a moment. If you're, let's go with the stats quick. quick. Uh, with a wizard, say, 17 strength, fighter 17 strength, a wizard is naturally weaker than a fighter if you think about it. So, say a wizard has 17 strength and a fighter has 17 strength. Okay, let's that use makes 18 sense. as an example because um, yeah, again, let's it, use that if more. we're going in yeah, first edition and second edition, yeah, a fighter with a strength of 17 and a wizard with a strength of 17, both are going to get their plus one to hit and damage. Yeah, it's just when we 18 and then also yeah, you know, the hit points. Okay, let's go with 18 then. All right. You're a wizard. You're naturally going to be uh, naturally going to be weaker than the fighter who has an 18. Which, with exceptional strength, uh, let's go off the. I got my second book. I got my second edition book right here, but I don't have a first edition on me, sadly. So, all that exceptional strength, you're gonna be doing more damage, more frontlining, more DPS. You're gonna be able to hit more, and so on and so forth. Well, if you're a wizard frontlining, a you're cross-classing to a fighter, you'll be playing a different. No offense. <laughs> Yes, if you're a fr- if you're a wizard and you're trying to be a frontline fighter, uh, you're not doing it correctly. <laughs> so, yeah, and- it just makes sense to me with the exceptional strength and whatnot. Yeah, now with constitution, we'll stick with the eighteen number. With an eighteen con, 
a wizard should naturally get a plus two. Well, if you're a fighter, you should be getting, I think it's like a plus five or plus six. Plus four. Or is it a plus four? Plus, plus four. four. Thank you. So, with a warrior getting a plus four, he has been determined, he has gotten used to being physically hit. So if you go into the physical reality of it, it makes more sense. Yeah, and I, I have to agree with you. I mean, I, Chad, I think you do make a good point, but I think that in the case of a fighter, I mean, we have to consider in first edition when they introduced this rule, fighters had a lot less to work with than the other classes. Again, if you're going just straight by the rule, the, the player's handbook, and that's it, other than the ability to get exceptional strength, the only other thing they can do is just wear armor, use weapons, and then uh, when they get to ninth level, like in you know the expert set, they also get the ability to establish a stronghold. So that gives the fighter just a little bit extra. And I think when you are talking about, you know, the fighter, again, it's their business to know how to be able to take a hit as well as deliver a hit. So they're going to try to find ways to apply their strength in ways that that wizard who doesn't really study combat that he may have never thought about. So I don't know if that makes sense or not. It makes sense. Um... I would still tend to disagree with it, but I, I get your argument. I'm not going to say your argument's, you know, not valid because it is. Um, it's just not the way I guess I look at it. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. And and then, of course, after second edition, they got rid of the whole exceptional strength thing. And now it's mm-hmm. like, again, they got back to, you know, if you had an 18 strength, it didn't matter what class you were, you got the same bonuses. So Yeah. And really, uh, have you ever... Now, do either of you have or have you seen Unearthed Arcana? Uh, No, I have not. Yeah, because this is where it introduces one of the rules that we've used quite a bit when we've played 2nd Edition, and that is the weapon specialization, which um, the... And again, I think that makes sense because since the fighter is going to be studying weapons and combat more than the the other classes, yeah, it makes sense that they would be able to do things with a sword that a thief who knows how to use the same sword cannot do. So let's go back to Chad. What are your thoughts on that? It makes sense. It does. But again, it's just it's one of those things that when I think of it in 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 real world terms, if I have a strength, let's say okay, Al, let's let's make let's make funnies here. If I can lift 230, if I can lift 235 pounds off the ground, and you can lift 235 pounds off the ground, okay, uh-huh. we have the same strength, right? So, how does that make you a more efficient fighter or me a less efficient wizard? Let's say. Well. And again, I think it goes back to studying the tactics because, again, having studied martial arts, there's a, you know, because you learn how to punch and attack differently than someone who maybe, you know, their only fighting training has to do with, you know, roughhousing on on this, you know, on the schoolyard. Because if you, when you're studying martial arts, you know, or combat, you're, you learn how to do things other than just, you know, swing your weapon or throw your fist. You learn how to do things like, you know, make subtle movements that might, you know, might faints and, and parries. 
So I guess that's why I think the strength makes sense, but at least in my opinion. But what about the weapon specialization? I mean, do you what do you, what is your thoughts on that? Weapon specialization, yeah, I would agree um, that that would be somebody who has the time to practice with the weapon, be with the weapon, you know, learn how to use the weapon. So I get that only fighters get weapon specialization, and that I don't have a problem with. You know, and 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 again, I'm I'm talking about a system here that I really don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I it makes sense that a fighter would get specialization where other classes would not because they have other things going on. If you're a wizard, you're you're studying your spells. If you're a cleric, you're learning your you know you're praying to your god, um, and so on and so forth. So, I think that makes sense that it would only be fighters that have the specialization. Okay, and James? Well, with fighting specialization, I can see a yes for a fighter, so he can attack more, he gets bonuses to certain things. But in the process, let's let's go into the bard quick, who I think is introduced... Yeah, I, I figure he's introduced somewhere, I think, first edition or second. I know it's first second edition, edition yeah, As oh, far okay. as I know, they really didn't have an equivalent for the bard in mm-hmm. basic... Um, I mean, going back to the fighter, they did have three different options that I think were introduced in the companion set. Um, They had options for wandering fighters. And the reason we're not going to get into this too much is because this kind of, this is a better suited for when we discuss the Paladin. Uh, Because again, back in basic, let's say you were playing a fighter and you got to a certain level and you didn't want to settle down and be a fighter that owned land. If you met certain qualifications, you could be a a Paladin, a Knight, or an Avenger. And the difference being, if you were a lawful fighter, then you could try to become a Paladin. If you were a lawful or a Mm -hmm. fighter who didn't meet the requisites for a Paladin, um, or if you were a neutral fighter, you could become a Knight. And then if you were a chaotic fighter, then that's where you could, could become the Avenger. Mm-hmm. But like I said, that not going to get too much into that because that's I think that's a little bit better suited for when we discuss the yeah. plan someday. Yeah. Now back to no, I've had a character, I've had players come to me and say, "Hey, can I quote unquote specialize into that?" I'm ask, and they ask me, and I, so I asked them, "What do you mean by specializing? That's a fighter thing only." He means like only a plus one to hit, plus one to damage. I can see that to a point. You just won't be able to attack as often. Yeah, because anyone could fully specialize into a weapon. You just won't fully get the benefits. Yeah, and then the I know they did introduce rules for continued specialization, which actually kind of segues nicely into second edition. And in my opinion, I think this is where the fighter class really got, um, you know, really started to get a a bit more ground because I know there's people out there who give second edition a lot of crap, and. I don't know, my friend Dan and I from the Radio Free Borderlands and I were, were talking about this once, uh, this was many years ago, uh, this was around the time when 3rd edition was at the height of its popularity, it's like 2nd edition was kind of that, pardon the term, um, that red-headed stepchild that no one liked, and it's because you know no one said any, anything bad about 1st edition, because oh that was Gary Gygax, and to say anything bad about that would you'd be insulting Gary, and you know, we we owe a lot of what role playing games have become, 
you know, to, to Gary's uh, creation back then. And of course, since third edition was new and fresh and popular, no one would badmouth that. But second edition, I think, got a lot of hate uh, more than it deserved back then. But the thing I liked about second edition is that it brought a lot of the rules together in the player's handbook. Because if you look in first edition, in the player's handbook, they talk about saving throws and, you know, the combat matrices. However, they're not in the player's handbook. They're in the Dungeon Master's Guide. And then again, stuff like specialization, that was in the the Unearthed Arcana. And when 2nd Edition came about, they brought together a lot of this stuff that was previously scattered in, you know, two or three different books. And again, fighters, if you're going just by the core player's handbook, still fairly limited. Again, any weapon and armor... They retain the ability to specialize, um, and this is what one of the things I like about Second Edition is they kept the, the whole rule about how you can establish a stronghold. However, in a, they gave you a little bit more detail into what type of followers you were attracting. Because I believe in First Edition and Basic, it was just you were basically attracting like commoners and low-level fighters. But in Second Edition, they expanded it to be like, okay, not only did you in and did you attract a body of followers, which would be your zero-level fighters, you would also attract an elite unit, which could be mounted knights or berserkers or um, expert archers. And you also had a leader, which was usually going to be, you know, around a fifth or sixth-level fighter that would have some magic items with him. So I liked that little detail about the fighters in second edition and, um, and I think one, I'm wondering if one of the reasons they did that is because they wanted to try to encourage people to take D&D back to its, its wargaming roots, where, okay, if you're attracting this body of, you know, uh, light infantry and archers and, uh, you know, a second in command with a magic crossbow, well, how, when else are you going to use them other than large scale combat? So, uh, Chad, let's go to you for this. So, your thoughts on the fighter in second edition? Um, well, that's that. That's where I played my first fighter. Um, you know, they've got the uh, um, prime requisite of strength. Um, you know, it, it was a really easy class to use in second. All races were allowed. Um, I, I like the fighter in second edition. They were again, they were very straightforward. Um, you could get if your strength was high enough. You could gain additional uh, XP. Um, you could be any alignment. Um, you were the only people that were allowed to specialize. Um, you know, and and there was no worry about magic because either you, uh, <clears throat> I mean, you you just magic could happen to you, but there was no way you were ever casting magic. So. Um, I, I like them as an overall um, meat shield, um, for lack of a better word. They were uh, they were big, they were burly, they did a lot of damage compared to everybody else, and they they were easy to run. So I, I liked them. They were um, not the race I played. I was a big I was so I was always more of a thief guy. And well, I still am, but in second edition especially, so a lot more percentiles and skills and that kind of stuff. But this was. Um, the the fighters were nice, especially I was a new guy coming in in second edition, so my first character was a fighter because they could sit you down 
And in, you know, 15, 20 minutes, you got a brand new character, you're all set to go and they can just dump you in. So um, I think that's a, I think that's a good thing. Okay. James. Well, uh, yes, Fido was the first thing I ever played in for second edition. I'd say the Fido in second edition is balanced. It's welcoming. It's very forthwith, very open. But there was always one thing, and this was something I kind of spaced on with uh, when we talked about first edition with the strongholds. That was something I wasn't really happy with, that only fighters can get that. Well, I think for thieves, they did give them the uh, opportunity to attract like a body of like a you know start a thieves guild where you could mm-hmm. attract apprentices. And I, yeah. mean, I know there were other classes that had followers, but we'll we'll get to that when we we cover that in a future episode. Yeah, I was more, more meaning like uh, mages or bards and so on and so forth. Because if you're a high level mage, and if I, let me double check my handbook real quick, because I do not believe that you attract followers as a high level mage. I think you had the opportunity to get a tower and establish apprentices, but like I said, we're not <laughs> not going for the uh not going for the wizards today, but yeah, I Yeah, we'll go for mean. that later. Yeah, and I, I know what you mean. I, it, I I never really used followers. Um what about you guys? Did you ever really get into followers in your campaigns? Uh, uh only if the DM allowed it personally. Okay, yeah, it, it depended on the DM, but usually, um, you know, if I played a fighter and you got to that magic eighth level, I fought pretty hard to get my followers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and- I would agree to a point myself. Yeah, and I think that what really helped kick the fighters into uh, to high gear for me was the release of the complete fighters handbook. And mm-hmm. I'd have to say this is still one of my favorite splat books. And the thing that I enjoyed so much about it is, well, not only could fighters use it, but there was a lot of material in there that any class could use. Uh, a lot of the kits you could use for either a ranger or a paladin. But uh, what I liked is a lot of the different kits they introduced. Like, well, let's say that you did want to play a, you know, a lightly armored fighter, like a swashbuckler. You know, where you, where you wanted to just use a buckler, leather armor, and a rapier. Well, in in first edition or just the core second edition rules, you know, there's no real advantage to a fighter just using plate mail. I'm sorry, not plate mail. Um, you know, just using leather armor. Whereas in the fighter's handbook, you know, of course, if you took the swashbuckler kit and you were wearing light armor, you did get a little of a bit of a defensive bonus. So. Uh, and then, of course, they had some other interesting ones in there, like the Cavalier, the Beast Rider, the Berserker, uh, the Myrmidon. Mm-hmm. So I, that's why I, I think that's one of the reasons I really enjoyed playing Fighters in 2nd Edition, because, uh, you know, you take some of that and take some of the material from the Ninja's Handbook, and it's like, yeah, you can make a pretty, you can make a pretty darn cool fighter. Yep, and... Uh, something with me that actually I enjoyed with the fighter was a barbarian build. Because, mm-hmm. uh, no, barbarian became its own separate class in later editions. And it was its own and separate it act- class in first edition as well, but they... Yeah, they, it, was just, it was just removed in second edition, which made me kind of sad. But they got, I, I remember correctly from the fighter's handbook, the hit dice changed to a d12. Correct. 
So having that, you became more of the DPS build, and you got a lot of bonuses for wearing light armor. Like, if I remember correctly, you got double your AC bonus, and you got double your con bonus, which was so interesting to me. Yeah, it's, but I, I know they, they introduced the Barbarian in Earth Arcana, Unearthed Arcana, but I haven't, I haven't read that part in a while, so... But, <laughs> well, uh, let's... Now we're going to move away from familiar territory, and for me, this is going to be um, a little less um, of my comfort zone, and that's going to be in 3rd edition. And now, James, oh. I know you've played quite a bit of 3.5. Hold on, hold on quick. I need to go vomit just hearing that now. <laughs> Sorry, I hate that edition for the life of me. Okay, so you're not a fan of 3.5. What about you, Chad? I, I love 3.5. Okay. Um, I I like the playability of 3.5. Um, you hear a lot sometimes that people will say it's crunchy. It's, uh, it you know, is. a lot of number crunching in that. But I, I don't really see that. Um, I, I like um, I like 3.5. I'll say it. I don't care. That's okay. I mean, <laughs> everyone has their, you know, their own preferences. And, you know, it's like yeah. each edition of D&D kind of has its own feel and its own flavor to it. And my mm-hmm. main thing with 3.5, I mean, I'll be honest, just the player's handbook alone actually oh, gives you a fair, you know, a pretty good amount of character creation options. And, mm-hmm. you know, definitely above and beyond what you got in just the player's handbooks for second and first edition and basic. But, and to some extent, it's not entirely Wizard's fault because third edition did get a bit crunchy because of the whole OGL thing and how now you had, I mean, with third edition, there's certainly no shortage of splat books out there. Mm. Oh God, no! Yeah. Oh God, don't get me started. Isn't there like over a hundred? Isn't there like over twenty now? Maybe thirty. I'm not sure. I mean, well, well, oh, in ahead. three five, I've probably got. Oh, I've probably got forty splat books just sitting on my shelf. Mm-hmm. Oh God! And I, I guess it depends on whether you count. Are we counting just Wizards of the Coast supplements, or are we including anything that was made by a third party company that? Followed the OGL. Well, let's go with Wizards of the Coast. I'm talking just Wizards of the Coast books. That's what I have sitting on myself. Yeah. Um, There aren't there. There was a lot of uh, splat books put out by groups like Goodman Games and things like that, and they were not bad. I I own one of them, um, which is uh, oh man, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called Death or the dead or something like that. And uh, the reason I picked it up, and it's kind of a funny story that relates back to a fighter type character is I was playing a, um, a fighter and that had turned paladin. And then I became a paladin of the gray, which um, means you work for death. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Sounds like was, a so, and then that was from a non, Wizards of the Coast um, supplement, but um, I find that usually, and and not so much the case with 4th and 5th edition, but usually Wizards of the Coast was great for splat books. If you wanted to do something, you could find it somewhere. Um, So. Yeah, and 
James, um, your thoughts on fighters in 3.5. And again, sticking primarily with the player's handbook, um, not including the, you know, the, the metric ton of splat books that were available yeah, out yeah. there. Well, a fighter for me in 3.5, they were very feet heavy. If you know what I mean, for those who play 3.5 out there, every level you got a feet. Every other. Which was very. No, was, no, 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 like, as a fighter. As a no, every fighter, every other level. I'm looking at the, the chart right now. It's like you get a feat yeah, at bonus feat at. You got to remember, Al, that you get a feat every third level then oh, as yeah. a player. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. That's right. It's not quite every level, but it's pretty damn close. Yeah, it's pretty damn close. I'm thinking Pathfinder here. So, <laughs> so with that at hand, when you think about it, they're very combat heavy. Like I'm, uh, let's go with my first ever 3.5 fighter. Lord was he overpowered because he was a scythe fighter. Lord, the crit modifier on that was. <laughs> <laughs> if you know what the crit modifier on that thing was, he was deadly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, the thing is, I mean, fighters I think are in third edition are elegant in their simplicity. Yeah, yeah. the only bonus yeah. is they get a, a boatload of feats. But mm-hmm. the thing that, and this is what I like about it, is it does give you that opportunity to develop the type of fighter you want. So if you want to be the fighter that runs around in plate mail with the great axe or the two-handed sword, then you can take stuff mm-hmm. like, you know, power attack or... Yeah, um, cleave. Yeah, and if you... Or well, if you you wanted, know, and, and they do get a buttload of feats, Alan. I was just thinking about this. And, and the, the rule that most people look overlook in 3.5 um, is either due to laziness of DM or sneakiness of, um, of player or just not knowing mm-hmm. the rule is those bonus feats that they get at first, second, fourth, sixth, eighth, tenth, twelfth, you know, are supposed to be fighter feats. Yeah. Yep. Well, and one of the things, this is another one of the things I really did like about third edition. I like how they introduced the concept of the finesse weapons. So, you know, again, yeah, if you were a fighter with a really good dexterity, you know, you you actually might be better off using a dagger or a rapier and wearing light armor than you would if you were using, you know, chain mail or plate mail or other heavier types of armor. And Mm -hmm. I said, I've only played, I haven't played as much third edition and I've played, I know I've played a fighter only once. um, But again, it was still a lot of fun because I did like it how with the feats, how I could, I could develop the type of fighter I wanted to develop. Mm-hmm. So again, if I wanted to focus on, you know, power over speed, I could. If I wanted to focus on finesse, I could. So it all depended on what I felt like playing and what yeah. splat books the game master allowed. But we're not going to go there right now. No, not yet today. <laughs> so, any final thoughts on third edition? Because I know this is unfortunately. I think when we're taking a look at the overall history of Dungeons and Dragons, this is the time period in that game's history where we kind of become, I think the D and D community becomes a bit more divided. Yeah, where, it does. You know, you had some people that were, you know, they complained about, uh, you know, the brokenness factor of third edition on how, you know, you almost had too much stuff and your characters become grossly overpowered if you knew how to work the rule system, but then there were some people, they liked that over the top goofiness 
And again, I don't mean that as an insult to anyone who plays third edition, um, but you know, it do, it could get a little number crunchy. Yeah. So, Chad, like, your thoughts on um, third edition at this point? Third edition, I, I'm still a fan. I still uh, I still occasionally pull out the books and play. Um, but you know, as far as characters being overpowered. Um, maybe, but the whole idea of the game is to be a hero Mm -hmm. is to be better than the average guy on the street to Uh, be the guy that the city comes to, to help them in their time of need. The idea is to be, so I'm going to counteract with that real quick. It's not just about being a hero. It's also about being a villain at the exact same time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Maybe. Maybe, but you know the the thing is, is when when I say um, a hero, you know it's it's the fact that your character is better than the average Joe. Otherwise, you would be a farmer or a blacksmith or a cobbler. You know, you wouldn't okay. be this this person that's either looked up to or reviled against. I guess you can look at it either way. Okay. Um, because, you know, being good is in the eye of who the bad guy is. Because you, you ask any villain if they're the bad guy, and they're going to say, no, this other guy is, because he's trying to stop me from doing what I need to do. Hmm. And that's a good point. And I think, especially with the perspective, I mean, there are some villains, like, to take a famous fictional villain like Magneto, he doesn't consider himself necessarily a villain. He does what mm-hmm. he does for the good of mutant kind. And who cares if a bunch of humans, you know, normal humans die. But on the other hand, you know, there are some villains that don't, you know, they probably don't see themselves as, or no, they, they admit that they're a villain. I mean, I could see Joker being that kind where, yeah, he's a villain. He will, you know, kill slit your throat and, you know, kill you in a heartbeat because that's just the kind of guy he is. So he has no illusion mm-hmm. about being you know, the fact that he is a villain. So, okay, to continue yeah. with your thought, Chad, sorry. <laughs> no, that was, that was pretty much it. You know, it's, it's perspective one, but the idea is if, if you're not better than the, the, the farmer or, or the cobbler or the blacksmith, they're not going to come to you. And then it's a pretty boring game when you play life to life or a uh, day to day life. Yes. You make your um, milk, the cow feet check. <laughs> okay, yeah, that not exactly the stuff that memorable game uh yeah, game sessions know, are made of. How long are you playing that game, Al? <laughs> <laughs> oh, milk in the cow. You make your seduction roll of the milkmaid. Ooh, <laughs> goody. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm a cobbler. I know how to make shoes. I just rolled a critical success. Look at this fine pair of shoes I made. Well, yeah, you know, I'm a cobbler. Okay, you're attacked by orcs. What do you do? Uh, I throw shoes at them. <laughs> Okay, James, your opinion. Third edition 3.5. It's a fun game, I will agree. It's not my most favorite. I love math, so I think that's kind of why I also don't like it, is because I prefer to keep math where it's more important. And I don't mean D&D is not important. I will not say that, because it's helped me with my depression and whatnot. It has. But, okay, I rolled a 19, 
So I have a 19. My strength bonus gives – I have a strength bonus of three, so I hit AC 22. Now I have this feat that doubles that, so I hit AC 44. Okay, there's that. So I hit AC 44. Do I hit – how the hell did you get double damage? It's this, it's this hidden feat that if you look deep in the web, you will find it. Yeah, it's and – Yeah, because yeah. – yeah, and, and and I know because um my friend Dan again he was telling me one time about uh his problem with third edition. I mean he likes the game. It's just in third edition if you know how to work the rules, you can make oh, like yeah. I mean you can make like a third level character fight like a tenth level character. So now we get to Pathfinder, which is of course important to understand in the context and the history of D and D, and it's a game that I have no experience with. So I'm going to let you guys talk about it for a moment or two. So let's start with Chad. What can you tell us about fighters in Pathfinder? Uh, there are fighters in 3.5. I mean, the, the thing that Pathfinder did that really made it a different game is they simplified the skill set um, and, and, and they made things more uh, straight, more um, smooth. Slimlined. Yeah, streamlined. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, streamlined. So, you know, as far as if you've played 3 or 3.5 and you sit down and you look at a Pathfinder book, you're going to go, hey, this is the same stuff, except we have a few less skills to choose from. And other than that, it's – and I, I don't know if you agree with me there, James, but other than that, it's pretty much the same system. So basically, I if will, you've played – oh, go ahead. I will – but I don't know why for the life of me. I prefer Pathfinder over 3.5. I still don't know to this day. I, I can tell you there's less math. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there is. It's just plain and simple. I'm not I'm not doing it to be funny, even though it wasn't funny. It's the funny. There is part. less math in Pathfinder than there is in, in 3.5. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and that's one of the things that that point you touched upon, that's one of the things that uh, I mean, the pe- the few people I know who have played Pathfinder, that's one of the things they really enjoy about it is the fact that it, you know, it's it is a bit more streamlined than than third edition was. Well, now we get to one of those other editions that I think you either really really like or really really hate. Fourth edition. All about first impressions. Yep. <laughs> so fourth edition, yeah. and depending on who you ask. At this time, this was pretty much the Wizards of the Coast's um, their attempt to draw the World of Warcraft and the EverQuest and the the MMO players into the D and D fold. And you, again, you saw this in a lot of the advertising. Uh, there was one I remember seeing. It had a kid dressed as an elf sitting in front of a computer you know, playing a game, and it's like, well, if you're going to sit in your basement pretending to be an elf, you might as well do it with your friends, and that was their little blurb about, <laughs> you know, fourth edition. So looking past that, not talking about whether we think fourth edition was an attempt to turn D&D into a, more of a, a game that would appeal to MMO players, let's talk about fighters in fourth edition. So... I've played one once. What about, well, James, since you had a sigh there, uh, let's start with you here. What is your impression of fighters in 4th edition? Okay. No, that was a sigh of happiness. Right? Oh, okay. I have two different sighs. 
I'm the one who likes fourth edition. It's Dan here who don't. Uh, hopefully, I, I might have gotten your name wrong. Chad. Yes, Chad. Okay, why do I think Dan? Because I talk Sorry. about my friend Dan from the Radio Free Borderlands podcast every other That show. might be why. Yes, so again... So that when, might be why. When, when I make my point of insanity game studio geekery in general drinking game, that's probably the one thing. Whenever I mention <laughs> Dan from the Radio Free Borderlands podcast, take a couple sips of drink. drink. <laughs> so anyways, so, go on. Chad. So I know Chad's going to diss me on this game because I, I loved it because my first impression of it. I wish I could play more, but I think it all mattered by my DM because in 4th edition, they have strictly separated you into A, you're the defender type or you're the striker type. And with those two differences, the striker gets a lot more bonuses to hit and the defender type gets a lot more bonuses to defense. And that was something I really enjoyed. I don't know why for the life of me, but I enjoyed having that. Here's that separation. Here's some stuff to help you out with that. Well, actually, my girlfriend's right behind me as well, who can actually help me with this, because occasionally <laughs> my words are sh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. Let me put it very simply. It's nice to have it separated because then you don't have people who are sitting there with, oh, I have like a plus 20 to hit. And then it's like, oh, yeah, you can't hit me because of all these reasons over there. So it just makes it actually possible to balance someone out when they're a fighter. Because in all honesty, it gets a little annoying. Al, I'm sorry. I'm talking about you. Oh, <laughs> Ouch. you with the, Chad, you with the negative three AC. <laughs> Oh, Chad, am I annoying? No. Well, I've never game. Of course, I've never gamed with you either, Al. So maybe you are. Well, let me just put it this way: when it comes to second edition, I ex- I'm I like to think I'm pretty good at playing defensive characters, like in oh, a campaign that we were that uh, James his girlfriend and I were playing in. And I think I talked a little bit about this before. I was a dwarven swashbuckler. Shield, leather armor, armor class negative two, no magic at all. It was mostly Dear skill based. God, I needed to quit to hit you. Yes. It's so like annoying as, as hell. Yeah, and I mean that particular well, character, he didn't hit hard, but he was hard to hit. So he his yeah, role was mainly I was fine with to a point. Yeah, and, and his well, role was was mainly to be more the defensive fighter where my goal yeah. was to draw the opponent's attention to me. So that yep. way, my my allies could do stuff. But Chad, now why don't you go off on your your opinion of fourth edition? <laughs> my opinion of fourth edition or fourth edition fighters? Fourth edition fighters. Let's do with fighters. Yes. <laughs> all right. So fighters, you know, actually, of all the classes in fourth edition, probably the best. Um. Now, I don't have a lot of experience with this. I've ran the game once. I've played twice. Um, things I don't like about the way they set this up is um, at first level, you already have a crap ton of, of hit points. I mean, you got 15 plus your constitution score. Yeah. Now your constitution bonus, your constitution score. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a 15 constitution, you've got 30 hit points at first level. Mm. Um, I, you know, they get, um, 
they, they have healing surges um, of nine per day plus your con modifier. Yep. Okay, so why do you need a cleric? What What's the point of a cleric here? Yeah, and uh, I, think the, I think the purpose of doing those healing surges is so that the cleric could focus on other things other than being a walking first aid kit. I get yeah. that, but isn't that what a cleric is? Not entirely. I would disagree with that entirely. And entirely that, everyone so, take a sip of your drink. That's a topic for another show. But anyways, Chad, as you're saying about <laughs> um, fighters. The, the other problem I have with not just the fighter, but all the classes is your limitation to building your character. It's like you're in a video game. So at first level, you can choose this or this. All right, so you get that. And then at second level, because you've chosen the one path on first level, now you can choose this or this. There's no... To me, it's really hard to round out a character in fourth edition. Yeah. Or maybe it's just easy to round out a character. Maybe I'm looking at it backwards. But either way, it annoys the hell out of me. Yeah, and... Uh, okay, James, I have and, a feeling you're disagreeing here, but... <laughs> Uh, and, and I would disagree with this one right then there. Because when I played 4th edition, I already had a plan for the character. I knew what I was going to do. I figured, I knew the path like the back of my hand. Yeah. So I think that was also my situation. When a new person comes into 4th edition, it's just more what you're setting me on several paths. Mm-hmm. And when I played MMOs, I got that feeling a little bit, not as much as I used to. Because, one, let's go with the healing surges quick. You get basically a fourth of your hit points back. That's not much. And the DM can nerf the hell out of that. (laughs) Yeah, but you can do it nine times a day. That means you can fully heal yourself over two times a day. Mm -hmm. Dude, now let's say... Now I have to go into damage point of view as well, because note the mobs also have that much hit points. Because I I used to have a fourth edition module on mine, and give me the heads up, a cobalt compared to second edition had triple the hit, had triple the HP, which was terrifying. Because okay. when you think of a fighter, they are those tanky builds for a reason. Mm-hmm. See, and I think that I fall a little closer to Chad on here. Because my, and, and it's the whole limited thing, because I mm. remember I was with some friends at my local game store, and we were playing Keep on the Shadowfell. Oh, that, that's a tough module. Ooh. Yeah, we, we only, we'd only did one game session, but I didn't <laughs> have a character, so I played a pre-gen, the Dwarven Fighter. And <laughs> see, the thing I didn't like about it from my experience playing it is there was no real incentive for me to use the the power strike feat that I had because I remember now let me get this let me just put one thing out there I do like the concept of encounter and daily powers because let's say you've got this cool daily power lets you strike let's just say for triple damage and okay you run into an ogre it makes you Mm -hmm. think okay do I want to use this really cool daily power on this ogre or do I want to wait to see if something tougher comes along? You know, if you use it on your ogre and then the next encounter is a giant, you're going to kind of wish you saved that, you know, that attack. However, if you mm-hmm. use it and then the rest of the day you're just fighting goblins and kobolds and you didn't use it, it's like, okay, now I got to waste this on a, a goblin. But I remember that fighter had two at-will powers. 
Well, all of them have two at-will powers, but the yeah. ones he had was first, there was the cleave one, which basically means mm-hmm. that if I hit an enemy, an adjacent enemy also takes a small amount of damage. The other was mm-hmm. reaping strike, where even if I miss, mm-hmm. the opponent still takes a little bit of damage. And I think this gets into that tactical feel that James yeah. was talking about. If I was fighting an enemy that I was more that I was having a hard time hitting, it's more to my advantage to use the the reaping strike because at least I know if I miss, I can still wear the opponent down. However, yep. if I'm surrounded by a large group of goblins, then I'm probably going to want to use that cleave because it gives me the possibility to take two goblins out in a single attack. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I haven't played 4th edition enough to really come to a... Uh, a definitive opinion. I haven't seen it at all levels of play. That was just my experience and my impressions playing it. And Now, I suppose if we wanted to, we could even group the Warlord class in, because... <laughs> Have you played a Warlord? Oh. <laughs> I have not played a Warlord, but I'm guessing James has. Yeah. Because <laughs> I like... Uh. I like the concept. I mean, it seems it's, like I said, haven't played it, just, you know, glanced over it. But I like the concept of the Warlord as being this tactical fighter where you're not necessarily focusing on, okay, you know, if if the three of us are playing a fighter or you guys are playing fighters and I'm playing a Warlord, well, I'm not focusing on what can I do to that ogre. I'm focusing on, okay, how can I use my abilities to help Mm -hmm. James and Chad's characters take down this ogre in the most effective manner. So it looks, sounds like it's a really, it would be a really fun class to play with the right group because, or if you're the right person where your mindset is you like being tactical and you like being able to direct your, your allies in combat. I would agree with that entirely. When I played it, when I played the, when I played a warlord, Lord Almighty, because you've seen my mind now. You see how I play. I try to be very tactical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I try to be at least. Okay, I hear your I girlfriend laughing in the background there. <laughs> yeah, so with that at hand, when I can figure out, okay, I can buff these guys to improve their attack styles, it's fantastic. Because, and I have Wikipedia up right now, so I can get a gist of them. The Warlord appears to be appears as a core class in AD&D for E, the player's handbook. Warlords are martial leaders. Other martial orient cl- character classes include fighter, ranger, and rogue. Other leaders include cleric, bard, artificer, shaman, so on and so forth. As a leader, they focus on buffing and healing your allies, which is very interesting. Because mm-hmm. when you think about it, a cleric, most of them they can be a buffer or they can be a healer. You can't really be both. With the Warlord, you can be, which is really nice in my opinion. Okay. So, yeah, and again, I, Chad and I know neither of us have played a Warlord, so we can't really speak to um, what it's <laughs> like to play it. But it sounds, like I said, from what you're describing, it sounds like it would be a, it can be a fun class to play. But mm-hmm. moving on, we now have the final, most current edition, 5th edition, which, and of course, 
a lot of people have said that it was an attempt to move backwards. So it was supposed to feel like a combination of second and third. And I mean, I, I've, I was playing a campaign with my friend Dan for a little bit. I've had to drop out the last few sessions because of, uh, you know, just life getting in the way. But in that campaign, I was playing a fighter. And I think I got up to like sixth or seventh level. And I, I have to say, so far, I've been having a lot of fun playing that, that fighter. I've played two different classes so far in 5th edition, fighter and rangers. And any of my friends who've gained with me for a long time are probably going to, their jaws are probably going to hit the floor when they hear me say this. I actually enjoy the 5th edition fighter more than the 5th edition ranger. Because <laughs> when I was younger, I played rangers almost all the time. That was like my favorite class. But like I said, 5th ed- edition fighters are kind of edging out the, the rangers for me. But let's start with you, Chad. So what is your opinion, experiences with fighters in 5th edition? Um, personal experience, none. I have not played a fighter in 5th edition. I love the 5th edition rule set. I love how streamlined it is, how easy it is, um, how they, they they build a background into your character creation. Um, I love the fact that they give you your starting equipment so you don't have to try to buy it. Um, I love the fact they have different fighting styles. And as much as I hated healing surges in 4th edition, they give the fighter something called 2nd Wind in 5th edition, mm-hmm. which I think is great. It's temporary hit points. You roll a die 10, and you can use it, I think it's so many times a day with a short rest in between. It's just, I I find it, um, it still gives you that kind of feel of you can kind of keep yourself going, but yet it doesn't make you your own healing machine. Yeah, and I agree with you. And again, I think it makes sense because, you know, again, fighters, these are people who are training themselves for combat. So they are going to have that certain mentality that forces them to keep on going even when their body would say, you know, your your body is saying, okay, tank's empty, bro. You know, we're done. But, you know, you've got that, that warrior spirit that keeps forcing you to keep going and that's what i like about the second wind so james well actually before we go to james uh any other thoughts about fifth edition fighters chad no no um like i said they're again they're the easiest of the characters to put together and uh you know i i like them okay james your opinion of fighters in fifth edition well first of all I'm going to say this. I played a fighter in 5th edition, and it wasn't the most welcoming. I think the reason why was because of the DM. And no, this was the same DM who DM'd my 4th edition game, so I think he was trying to mix a lot more 4E than he did 5E, so it didn't mix well at all. And with his play style, it was just more... eh. And with players and so on and so forth. We had one player. You know the one player that I don't like, Al. I think yeah. you do. <laughs> but anyways, yep. <laughs> so, with you the hand... you with me, James. Not you. <laughs> <laughs> you are better than who I'm thinking of. But anyways, <laughs> okay. So, so with, a four, with a 5e character, 
if I had the chance with a better DM and better players that didn't involve Colin, I might, I might have a better understanding of it. I might enjoy it more. I just because I have the fourth. Uh, I got my tongue here. Hold on. So if I if I had a better DM, if I had better players, I'm willing to give it a shot. Because I got the five E handbook, I got the five E players handbook. Well, I got the five E players handbook. I got the GM, and I got one of the um, uh, flavor books. I'm forgetting what they're called, uh, and I forget which one it is. But it doesn't matter. I'm willing to give it a shot. I just need a better DM. And Al, if you ever want to DM five E one time. I'll let you borrow my book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Or if, uh, Chad. Chad, have you DM'd 5e before? <laughs> yeah. I'm willing to have you as my DM. For pity's sake, if I had a better experience, I might give it a higher rating, because out of five right now, I give it a two. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, it, maybe at some point, I'm going to be over to visit Al, I'm sure, and we might be able to set something up. Yep. I figured. So maybe we can co- we can make a believer out of you with uh with fifth edition but yeah i mean so far the thing that has really made it there's two things that have really made playing a fighter in fifth edition really enjoyable for me uh the the archetype i chose was the battle master and this is probably going to be your closest to like a warlord type from fourth edition because the thing that's fun about the battle master is you get these different maneuvers you can you can do and like one of them, for example, well, first of all, you get these superiority dice and you get a certain number that you can use. And once you're out of your superiority dice, I think you get them back after a long rest. But like one of the ones I have is menacing strike where or menacing attack, where when I hit a creature, I add my superiority dice to damage. Plus the opponent has to make a saving throw or be frightened of me. So that's one that I really enjoyed using, because uh, even if you don't frighten the opponent, you still get a hey, you still get a little bit extra damage. But the other thing that I think 5th edition really gets right, I love the way they handled feats. You don't get as many, but they do more more stuff for you. And Isn't it upset? What's I'm sorry. Isn't it also an optional rule for feats as well in 5e? Yeah. Yes. Feats, feats are not automatically given. You're never given a feat. You have to give up your level. Whatever you would get that level, you give up, whether it's more hit points, whether it's to take a feat. So it makes feats very specific, and you better make sure you really want that feat. Otherwise, it's not worth taking. Yeah. Okay. One of the feats I took, which has saved my fighter's butt more times than I care to count, (laughs) Heavy Armor Master. And Uh. if any of you out there, if you want to play a good old-fashioned tank fighter in 5th edition, highly recommend that feat. Because basically what it does is you take three less points of damage from any non-magical physical attack. So that's really helpful Hmm. because I remember there was this one encounter... I took like 10 hits. So do the math. That's 30 points of damage I didn't have to take. So, and again, I mean, my fighter came out of that encounter, I think, with like, 
I, I think he had a maximum of like 40 some hit points. He came out of that, you know, that fight with, I think like 10 hit points or less. So again, if it wasn't for that, um, you know, if, if it wasn't for that feat, I would have taken an additional 30 points of damage and I would have been dead. So that's where I think fifth edition really shines with how they handles the feats. And so far playing a fighter in that edition has just been, it's, it's been awesome. Well, I think we're going to call this episode to a close as we've gone on a bit longer than I expected. But then again, we got three of us here and we've kind of tried to talk over each other at times. I think we went shorter than I was expecting. Yeah, I was expecting until like 11 tonight. Yeah, and and I think really we're just kind of like trying to scratch the surface. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, I think if we really wanted to go in depth with with each edition, we could. But... Yeah, for this this series where I am t- discussing the evolution of different classes in D and D, not really trying to go deep into each edition, just kind of skim the surface, and 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 I think it's it's fun to look back because it gives you a real sense of appreciation how the classes have changed, especially looking at the fighter. You know, again, you look at a fighter in basic, one d eight hit points plus con bonus, and whatever weapon and armor you could afford, whereas fifth edition it's gotten to the point where yeah even at low levels it still gives you some fun stuff to work with so chad where can people find you if they want to hear more of you well right here on this channel al um (laughs) we uh i do a podcast called uh whose podcast is it anyway um which uh comes out weekly on fridays uh, um, so yeah, you can find me there. I got a couple more in the works, but nothing, nothing solid yet. Yeah. And I know I've, my problem is, and I, I'm sure you have this problem too, Chad, you have more ideas than you have time to, uh, to harvest or to uh, cultivate <laughs> those ideas. Absolutely. And James, uh, when people are not listening to you talking with me on my podcast, where can they find you? They can find me on YouTube at Demon King IX as well as you can find me on Twitch. Okay, well, with that said, then, I'd like to thank you all for listening and have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming.